Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, we answer all your top questions about this roller coaster market. We'll discuss what's happening with the bond market, growth stocks, inflation, the Federal Reserve, and much more. That's with our backed by popular demand guest, Glenn Dorsey, head of client portfolio management at Clark Capital Management Group. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with what is happening in Britain at the moment. That's the first question I want to ask you. We're recording this in late September, and we just saw the pound sterling crash against the dollar after the British government announced a tax cut proposal. And the Bank of England said the country's likely in a recession. What do you think this crisis says about Britain's future? Wow, future. That's a big question. So let me just take a stab at it from an investment standpoint. So of course, to provide the background, the British pound just hit a record low against the dollar, where it's approaching parity, which means the pound is worth the dollar. And just for you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was at two times. So hmm. if you're a tourist, obviously, it's a great time to visit Britain. I know we've both been to England this year. But yeah. also to consider not only has the pound weakened, but also the volume of proposed tax cuts is the largest in 50 years. So if you kind of think about the environment for investing, unlike America, this is a situation, at least for the time being, where financial conditions are you know, pretty nice for the economy and the markets. And I would say, even though I would expect interest rates to rise there, as an equity investor, I would be a better buyer. I just kind of think about since the beginning of this century, England has traded about a 10 to 15% discount to the world. And now it's about a 25% discount. So you kind of add it up. I guess I'm more intrigued about it as an investor. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. Glenn Dorsey is head of client portfolio management at Clark Capital in Philadelphia. Glenn, welcome back to The Weighing Machine. Hi, Robin. Thank you. Hi, Rusty. Hi there, Glenn. Well, Glenn, of course, as we get started, as you know, and you've had this question before when you're on about a year ago, is what would your walk-up song be? I know the last time it was Jason Aldean's The Only Way I Know. You sticking with it or you got a new one for us? Oh, I think uh, longer term, I stick with that one. But I think in the short run, just given the amount of inbound calls we've had from advisors and clients, I've, I've switched to a, You've Got a Friend call out my name and I'll be there, right? And yeah. so we're answering a lot of questions from unsettled investors. People are seeing stock market volatility, which they're used to, but not so much on the bond market side. So you know, we get a lot of inbound calls. A little James Taylor, I like it. And I also always like more names being added to our playlist. The Weighing Machine playlist now, I think, is approaching six hours long. And thank you for making it even longer. I love it. <laughs> my pleasure. All right. Well, Glenn, so Rusty mentioned you were on the show a little over a year ago, but for those who did not catch that episode, can you tell us more about your background and how you came to your position at Clark? Sure. I've uh, been in the investment business 37 and a half years now. I started out um, actually my last year of college working for an investment consulting firm, went into the trust department at Bankers Trust Company, took my 
CFA exams right after college and managed to wrap that up pretty early. So got my CFA designation when I was about 24 and have been on the portfolio management side, primarily working for a lot of large firms in New York City, worked for Mitchell Hutchins, which was the old institutional arm of Payne Weber, if anybody remembers that name, and a high net worth boutique in New York. And then I was out in Colorado for a bit before I joined Clark Capital to start up the client portfolio management team about six and a half years ago. Yeah, great. Hey, Glenn, one thing. So you said 37 and a half years. I think there's another way it could be phrased because I use the same phrasing right now. You realize you've now been working professionally in the industry for five different decades. So that, that sounds like mm-hmm. even more experience, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you think about it that way. That's <laughs> a good way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little depressing in today's market, but yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Well, so one reason why you're on here is, is by popular demand, and it's come up a couple of times that we should have Clark Capital back on and you. And we're getting a lot of questions from advisors and investors, and you said you are as well. And Clark Capital recently published a piece, which is really nice, that is addressing a lot of the top questions we're all getting. And I'm sure there's loads of overlap, but let's just run through some of them. And first, a question that we're all hearing a lot about at the moment is why is the bond market down so much and is it still worth it to own bonds? That's a great question and probably the number one question that we're getting. The very simple reason that bonds are down as much as they are is that interest rates have moved up a lot. And primarily it was inflation fears. You know, The Federal Reserve kind of left their foot on the gas pedal too long. We had a supply chain that essentially fell apart a couple of years ago during the pandemic and demand skipped a beat, but then kicked right back in with a lot of help from the uh, federal government. So if you think about what inflation is, it's too much demand relative to supply. We've got higher prices. And then what happened essentially is inflation expectations shot up. So as a consumer, if you think prices are going to go up indefinitely, what do you do? Well, you go buy now. And that almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that pushes prices up higher. So we've seen the 10-year treasury right before the first rate hike was about 2.2%, got up to a little over 3.7% as we're talking, approaching 3.8%. But if you go back two years ago, 10-year treasury was around a half a percent. So the yield has essentially gone up seven times. So what that does is brings prices down which is short-term pain. But on the flip side of things, it also provides long-term opportunity to generate income again and return again from that 40 of a 60-40 portfolio. Starting yields are a big determinant of what total return is. Starting yields are a lot higher right now. So we're able to lock in higher interest rates for a longer period of time. And if you're worried about inflation, you want to constantly be increasing your cash flow. So we do think it's still a good time for bonds. Primarily, you own them for stable cash flow and offset the volatility of stocks. Now, granted, this year, we haven't done as good a job. We, being the bond market, hasn't done as good a job offsetting the volatility of stocks, but they're still down about half as much. So they have provided some buffer against the equity volatility. All right. So you did mention inflation. And of course, we hopefully maybe have seen the peak in inflation. So does Clark Capital think that we need to still worry about inflation? And if so, what can we do to protect ourselves from inflation? You know, we think inflation's rolled over at this point, right? Remember that inflation is not the price level, but it's the rate of change of price increases. So the comparisons are getting much tougher because inflation really shot up at the end of last year. We've seen 
commodity prices roll down. Certainly energy prices are now oil. West Texas Intermediate is now lower than it was before Russia invaded Ukraine. You've seen prices at the pump start to move down, and a lot of the commodities prices in general have started to come down. Typically, we always say the best cure for high prices is high prices, because that leads to two things. You're going to have an increase in supply. The manufacturers of those goods that can sell things higher are going to find a way to produce more, and you're going to have demand destruction. People start to use less of those things, and the result of that is prices come down. So in our mind, inflation is present, declining. We got up to 9.1% on the CPI a few months ago. That's the highest we've seen in four decades. Last reading was about 8.3%. So we've had a couple of months in a row where inflation numbers have come down. Probably they should drop pretty quickly until you get to maybe that 4 or 5% level, and then it becomes a little bit harder because you have wage inflation in there too, which is a little bit stickier. But we do think inflation is moving down. All right. Well, as you mentioned, and as we know, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates at the moment, and we're not sure how long that's going to continue, although there's some indication that that will continue for a while. And some investors are worried that it's going to cause a recession. So how much truth is there to that concern? Well, if history is a guidepost, there is some concern for it. The Federal Reserve has at times had a propensity to overshoot the mark. And if you think about their control of the Fed funds rate, you know, essentially it's a gas pedal when they're lowering rates and a brake pedal when they're raising rates. During the pandemic, we went down to a 0% Fed funds rate. And now as of after the last meeting, we're up to 3%. So by historical measures, that's not that high of a level for the Fed funds rate. However, that's a pretty big increase in a six month period of time to go from zero to 3%. Right now, you know, we're at a starting point in the economy, which was pretty strong. Right? The labor market has been incredibly strong, and you know, unemployment was down about 3.5% a couple of months ago. 70% or so of the U.S. economy is driven by the consumer. So that's a pretty good starting point. But with the last Fed meeting, they basically came out and laid out kind of their projection of where they thought rates were going to go and indicated we might see another 125 basis points of rate increases before the end of this year, and maybe some more next year, possible terminal rate of close to 4.5%. Again, that's by historical measures, not that high, but that's a pretty dramatic swing. And we've seen it show up in mortgage rates, which went from sub 3% to north of 6%. And that's gonna put a big dent in home sales and who would actually qualify for a mortgage. That housing historically has been a pretty good leading indicator for the economy. So there's no doubt the economy is slowing down. The question is, do we have a recession or not? And if we do, our belief is that if we do, it would be relatively short and shallow because of the starting point from which we came, right? A very strong economy. Again, that's wholly dependent on the Federal Reserve. We're seeing impact from what the Fed is doing in the bond market. If you look at bond market volatility is higher than stock market volatility right now. And liquidity seems to be freezing up a little bit in the bond market as well, which is conditions that we saw in 2020. So they may be forced to back off the brake pedal sooner than they want with inflation because of some dislocations that are starting to show up in the market. Well, let's move to the stock market. So as we are recording this, it's kind of an interesting time. You know, a lot of people have been talking about all year, we needed to retest the lows from last June. And we're recording this, we're still above those lows. 
Does it matter to Clark Capital if we bounce off those lows or go below it? How does it change your thinking on the stock market? Yeah, that's a great question. So June 16th was the low in this cycle, an easy number to remember. The S&P closed at 3,666. We had a pretty decent run up you know, for a two-month period of time. We were up about 17% into mid-August, and now we've rolled back over and we're kind of retesting that low. Oftentimes, when you retest the low, it doesn't go all the way to it, but we're right at that level right now. I think from a technical and psychological basis, it probably does matter. If you break through that prior low, then you probably have a couple hundred more points of downside risk to the S&P in the short run. We're in a seasonally sloppy period for the market, technical term. September is usually not a kind month to stocks, and the beginning part of October isn't either, followed by a very strong seasonal point, and particularly in midterm election years, kind of that last half of October into the summer of the following year tends to be a good recovery period. So that's what we're hoping for from a technical basis. You know, some of our tactical strategies use relative strength. The relative strength for the risk assets has been fairly weak over the last few weeks. So we're in a de-risk position in some of those tactical strategies now. So we've got a little bit of a cushion, but stocks, Essentially, the fundamentals for the companies haven't changed that much. Like if you look at S&P 500 operating earnings this year, right now are estimated to be basically flat from last year. And then for next year, up 14%. Now we think 14% next year is very optimistic. Those numbers will have to come down. But historically, you haven't seen pullbacks kind of more than that 25% level without an earnings recession. And we really haven't seen that in this cycle. There's, I think, a lot of emotion moving the market around at the moment that can often make prices overshoot in either direction. And that's certainly a possibility on the downside, too. Yeah. You know, you mentioned about how it's seasonally sloppy this time of year. You know, it's interesting. We all examine, you know, valuations, interest rates, earnings, what the Federal Reserve is doing. But if you only knew this year's seasonal patterns and kind of the presidential election cycle, the markets basically followed that template. It's been pretty fascinating, which would suggest, as you mentioned, the market is probably setting itself up for a pretty nice rally in the year end and hopefully into next year as well. Another very common question right now are growth stocks. So growth stocks have really been dominant over the last 10 years, but not so much over the last year. You know, so they've been powerhouses for so long. So what has happened to sort of this sector of the market and what is your outlook moving forward? Well, I think a lot of what drives growth stock relative performance is the direction of interest rates. So bonds, a lot of people are familiar with the concept of duration in the bond market. And duration is basically a measure of sensitivity to interest rates. With growth stocks, many times you're not getting a dividend at all and you're projecting out future earnings growth at a higher pace than the market for a long period of time. So that type of a profile for earnings has way more interest rate sensitivity than a slower growing company where you're getting maybe a three or 4% dividend and that's going up. So the duration for growth stocks is very high or it's sensitivity to interest rates. And if you think back to the pandemic period in 2020, it was all about the FANG stocks, right? That's all anybody could talk about. The interest rates bottomed for the 10-year treasury in August of 2020, and that's about exactly when the rotation out of growth into value stocks started. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that interest rates started to move up. The stocks that had a less sensitivity to interest rate increases have done better. Growth stocks have, in many cases, have come down to levels where they're very attractively priced and they're still you know, growing earnings. But until we get interest rates to settle back down, they're fighting a big headwind right now. All right. So what about international stocks? We talked a little bit about the British market possibly presenting some opportunities earlier in the show. What do you think? Is it time to buy or sell international? That's another great question. One that we've been sort of like the growth stock situation where we've been watching the U.S. market outperform international for what, 10 out of the last 12 years. So if you look at the international returns in local currencies, they're actually pretty close to what the U.S. has been. A lot of the outperformance from the U.S. market relative to international has been the fact that the dollar has been going straight up. And you referenced that in the opening comments about where the pound is. And you can say the same thing about the euro or the yen. The dollar has just skyrocketed higher. And then when you translate back your foreign stock price into U.S. dollars, you're losing that foreign currency translation, right? So that's really the key question is, if you can identify when the dollar is done going up, then you could say international stocks relative to U.S. are probably the cheapest they've been in a very, very long time. If you look at the PEs, they've been cheap for a while, but they're extraordinarily cheap now. But that reallocation into international doesn't really work until the dollar stops going up. Part of what happened with the UK is that they didn't increase rates as much as people expected. And they basically said, we're going to stimulate our economy, which all would lead to higher inflation. So what you're seeing is a lot of the currencies, they're flying over to the US dollar, the safety of the US dollar and are more aggressive rate increases here. So we'll need things to normalize. And I'm not quite sure when that exactly happens. You know, we're in a transition where different parts of the world are reacting differently to this inflationary spiral. And keep in mind that a strong dollar is inflationary for most other countries. Right? 80% of the, so of the world's trade is in US dollar. And if the dollar is getting more expensive, that's creating inflation elsewhere. So there are a lot of issues to tackle Again, the valuations look attractive. I think, you know, a lot of times from our vantage point, we always say buy global market share leaders, high quality companies, wherever they're domiciled, right? It really limits your investment universe to say, well, you know, international is not doing well, so I'm not going to look at any company that's not domiciled in the U.S. And that really eliminates a lot of good high quality companies that you can get at a good price. So we're not jumping up and down, pounding the table, saying international is going to far outpace the U.S., but don't limit your university there. Mm-hmm. All right. So taking all of these factors that we've talked about into account with the stock market and the bond market, what is Clark doing to adjust and manage portfolios? Well, we take a bottom-up and a top-down approach. So our bottom-up approach is really looking for good old-fashioned stock picking and bond picking, right? So find good companies, improving business prospects, good dividends, increasing dividends, high quality companies. Now, different sectors are going to behave different points of the economic cycle. So we're in a slowing economic environment now. So what are we doing inside of the portfolios? We're shifting to sectors that are less sensitive to the economy, right? You're still going to eat. You're still going to go to the doctor and get prescription drugs. 
if there's a recession. You may not buy discretionary items like you know RVs or whatever, all the other things that were flying off the shelves in 2020 when we were online shopping from home. So we're making the portfolios less sensitive to the economy as we're seeing the economy slow down. That's what's happening in the bottom-up traditional strategies. On our top-down quantitative strategies, again, they use a relative strength methodology to identify what's working and what's not working in the market. All right? That can be at the asset class level, where we look at kind of risk assets, which would be high-yield bonds or stocks versus low-risk assets like treasuries or T-bills. Those strategies de-risk a few times this year, but again, the last time they de-risked was the beginning of September, so we've avoided a lot of this sell-off that we've seen in the stock and bond markets by being in the safety of T-bill equivalents, if you will. So those are some of the things that are happening inside the portfolios for taxable accounts. Obviously, we're looking to tax lost harvest and make sure that we don't deliver a uh, capital gain event in what's been a challenging year from an investment standpoint. So you know those are things that they're occurring all day long inside of the portfolios. Yeah. Well, Glenn, so since the last time you've been on, we've introduced a couple of questions we'd like to ask all our guests. And the first one relates to, so given all of your experience in the industry, and again, you've been working in the industry for five different decades now. I started working shortly after you did. My very first desk, by the way, all they gave me were yellow legal pads and pencils. So I've been in the industry a while myself, but given all of your experience, all your resources, all your contacts, everything at your professional disposal, how does this impact how you personally invest for you and your family? Well, for my long-term assets, I pretty much stay invested in in stock. I'm a believer in business owners make more money over time than people that lend to businesses. So by being a stockholder, you get the benefit of that. With that comes volatility. And you know, I have a long time horizon, so I don't really, other than having some tactical strategies in my retirement assets, I believe in staying in fully invested. I think what from a non-qualified standpoint, you know, I think this is a time period, as I've told people, if you don't need distributions from your account, don't take them right now. If you have extra money, I think this is probably a good time to put it in the market. Now, will you be right and be jumping up and down and excited in a month or two months? I'm not sure. But if you look back in a couple of years, you'll probably say, you know what, that was a pretty good time to buy. And the analogy I've been using with a lot of clients that applies to us is, you know, if you're looking for a car and let's say you've got your eye on this $40,000 car, I realize that car prices are a lot higher than that now, but you have your eye on a $40,000 car, it meets all your criteria, it's a great, great vehicle, and it goes down to $30,000 on sale. Now, do you buy it? Or do you hope that you can maybe get it for $27,000 or $25,000 and risk the opportunity you had to get it at that good sale price? I would suggest you're probably better off buying the high quality merchandise when it goes on sale. And to me, that's what we're seeing in the stock market. Again, the fundamentals for the companies that we're seeing really haven't deteriorated as much as the stock price. So the market bottoms I have seen in my career seem to be formed the same way. You get the decline in prices. And then you get the increase in fear and bad news and rhetoric. And we're at no shortage of any of that right now. So this feels a lot like we're called a bottoming process. So I think longer term, if you have a long-term horizon and can handle the volatility, this is when you want to step up. 
Absolutely. You're just talking about fear. In fact, you know, some sentiment surveys last week at their highest level of bearish investors since March of 09, early March of 09. Of course, as we know, that was just weeks before that epic bull market began. So our next question we like to ask is, again, in our profession, we all have an obligation to perform at a high level. So how do you maintain your health, both physical and mental, to ensure that you're performing at a high level? I think one of the things that's absolutely critical for me is I have to exercise. So I get up every morning and go to a gym in my house. And if I'm traveling, I go to the hotel gym and need to hit the weights, do some cardio. And I like to get some stretching in because that makes me feel a little bit better as well. But that's for me, physically and mentally, absolutely critical. And I have a dog and a cat that are insistent that I go down on the gym in the morning <laughs> at the house. So they won't even let me skip a day because they're ready to go. My dog loves to work out with me in the morning, by the way. When I do a downward dog, he always does a downward dog. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then he knows when I'm leaving the room to go to the gym downstairs. That's like one of his highlights of the day, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Glenn, one more before we let you go. And that is, do you have any recommendations for our listeners on what they should be reading or listening to books, newsletters, podcasts, anything like that? Well, I think the staying focused on some of the economic releases and actually reading what's in there rather than the interpretation of that on particularly the television financial channels where they pick one or two numbers and then kind of run with that as that's all the information that's in there. Most of the economic releases have a lot more data in there than if you really spend some time reading it and coming up with your own opinions, you know, I think you're far better off. So sticking to the fact-based releases to a large degree is helpful. Obviously, your podcast would be a great one to listen to. <laughs> There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's helpful and some of it's not. And, you know, invariably what you see during market sell-offs like we've had now is the people that have the most negative view of the world come out from every corner that they've been hiding in. And I think just caution about what you listen to is incredibly important. So I like to listen to the news for the data points rather than necessarily the opinions on it. All right. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for coming back on the show. It's been a great conversation. And tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about what you're doing at Clark Capital? Thank you very much. So of course, I kind of teased that report, you know, the top question. So I'm sure you can get that on the Clark Capital website. CCMG.com yeah. is the Clark Capital website. There's a little shortcut if you want to get to our resources section. We've been shooting these segments called office hours, which are two or three minute videos about whatever the hot topic is. We just did one on how the market has historically behaved during rate hike cycles, how bonds have historically behaved during rate hike cycles. And by the way, I'll cut to the chase on that. They typically bottom very early on in the rate hike cycle and you know, usually two or three months in, no matter how long the cycle is. So the shortcut for that is blog.ccmg.com. So it's blog.ccmg.com. Awesome. Glenn, thank you for coming on the show. I just have one very quick story. It's a true story too. Just last week, I was in the San Francisco area talking to a bunch of advisors and I did get in a conversation about the Wang Machine podcast. And I mentioned that I was interviewing you this week and one of the advisors, oh, I love that guy. He's helped me so much. So anyway, I thought you'd probably like to hear that. Thank you very much for that. It's always nice to hear. I love talking about the market. I am fortunate to do what I do and 
you know, be focused on something that I love and be passionate about it. So love to hear great feedback like that. Awesome. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.